Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In 1996, I was fortunate to visit the most beautiful city of Florence in Italy. Looking from my room, I could see the Ponte Vecchio, the famous bridge, just in the distance. And I was looking over the sun, just reflecting off the surface of the River Arno. It's a beautiful beautiful place. It was majestic. One of the highlights for me was a visit to the Academy Gallery, where I was transfixed by Michelangelo's famous sculpture of David. This statue was carved from marble between 1501 and 1504. It's 17 feet high. It was initially intended to be right up on the top of Florence Cathedral. But then the city fathers realized this statue is going to weigh over six tons. That could be tricky. And in their wisdom, they decided to place it at land level. And it instead went to a public square, Piazzo della Signoria. I have to be very careful because my wife will give me some stick with my pronunciation. And it remained there until 1873 when it was relocated to the academy. Initially work on David actually commenced in 1464. And there were two other sculptors scored the surface literally of the large block of marble. But they didn't really make any progress. And it lay in the cathedral store for 26 years untouched. And it was only then, at the relatively young age of 26, that Michelangelo rose to the challenge and created this wonderful masterpiece. I remember standing there, and I, I stood there for a long, long time. And what caught me was that the head was actually turned slightly to one side. And here you can see it, slightly to one side, and you could actually see the very sinews of the neck uh, protruding. And it was just amazing. What a creative masterpiece. What hands indeed. And this evening's meditation focuses on the hands of the master creator. I'm somebody who loves being out in the countryside, loves being up in the mountains, I love being going up to the top of uh, Sleeve Donard or Sleeve Binion and just looking down and realizing what a wonderful creator we have indeed. And firstly, I want to look at Jesus' merciful hands. We find Jesus in a reading tonight in the temple courts. He'd just come down from the Mount of Olives I would guess that he was praying early on in the morning before he headed to the, the, the temple courts. And there he is, we find him. He's teaching, as usual, 
he draws the crowd to him like a magnet. And suddenly, there's this clamor, there's this bustle and shouting, and this lady is dragged in by the Pharisees and the scribes, and you can imagine her being thrown to the ground in front of Jesus. They accuse the woman of adultery and say that the Mosaic law states that this woman should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? Tensions rise. The atmosphere is intense. Younger men may be grasping stones at the side of their cloaks, ready for action. Others gather around from the temple courts to see what's going on. It approaches fever pitch. Most of us might have instantly jumped to our feet, but look at Jesus' reaction. He remains seated. He's silent. He draws his finger along the sand on the ground nonchantly. The noisy incursion is stilled. Jesus, by his reaction, diffuses the situation. And then slowly, he rises to his feet to deliver this wonderful repost. He who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Pure wisdom as Jesus doesn't challenge the former Mosaic law, but rather the hearts of her accusers and their skewed sense of justice with only the woman brought before them. Incredibly, Jesus demonstrates the new covenant by showing unmerited mercy, but yet not overriding justice. Jesus stoops down and starts to write in the sand again with his hands. There's palpable silence as one by one the aggressors slope off, slinking away, realizing that the tables have been turned by Jesus. It is they, the religious leaders, who are publicly condemned as guilty. It's only at this point that Jesus directly addresses the woman. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she replies. You see, the only one who could justly condemn the lady faces her now and instead pronounces a beautiful word of mercy. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus teaches us two important truths. It is not wise to rush to speak. I'll tell you a brief story here. Some of you may have read this recently. A man walks into the pet shop one day and notices a colorful parrot on a perch. He looks at it and mockingly calls, Hey, stupid, can you speak? To which the parrot replies, Yes, stupid, can you fly? And of course, it's not wise to rush in uh, to speak to James. 
chapter 1, verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How often, when we're annoyed, do we shoot from the hip? Do we say something very quickly, terribly hurtful to another person, and then spend a long time later regretting that word and realizing that we can't take it back? No wonder the tongue is called a weapon in Scripture. Jesus teaches us to reflect first before we speak. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this, The prudent hold their tongues. We can probably all relate to this. Being in a conversation with someone who continually cuts us off mid-sentence. We were discussing this in our household very recently. And of course, no one was admitting to being the person that cuts the other person off, but it does happen. It is most frustrating, aside of being rude. And so Jesus counsels against speaking hastily. As he draws his finger along the sand or dust, we're also reminded that Jesus warns us against being quick to pronounce judgment on others. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Is it any wonder we were told in verse 9 of our passage this evening, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. It's wise indeed for each of us to ask God for the gift of discernment, not just between right and wrong, but also how to respond to people in difficult situations where we might have to make a stand for Jesus. Jesus' hands were also hands of blessing. It had been a long day teaching the crowd. Jesus was surrounded as ever, and Jesus in no doubt was tired, hungry, maybe even hassled and worn out. The disciples, seeing the women approaching with children, possibly with the best of intentions, stepped forward to shoo them away. We're told that Jesus was angry about this and used the opportunity again to teach the disciples an important biblical truth. I love the old King James Version, which says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you shall in no wise enter in. You see, a child accepts your word as truth, and likewise, a young child accepts God's word unquestioningly in simple, pure faith. Unfortunately, we've complicated the gospel, the simplicity of John chapter 3, verse 16, and this has resulted in a veil coming down and the eyes of many 
being blinded. Jesus reminds the disciples and us that we need to return to the kernel of our faith and childlike acceptance of its truth. And then we have this wonderful description of Jesus' perfect love for the children. He took them up in his arms, placed his hands upon them, and blessed them. I love that. I love that how Jesus uh, loved the children and had time for them, even when he was really tired. Maybe tonight, God is calling you to exercise your hands in blessing children. I'm greatly encouraged to see so many of our younger adults here helping with the leadership of our youth organizations, Young Life and Girls Brigade, Boys Brigade, Forged and Shine, and likewise, those of more advanced years staying the course, helping in crash, mums and tots, and in the youth organizations. Perhaps you're unable to assist with children's work. It might not be what you're called to do, but you still have a heart for children. You can still be hands of blessing to children by praying for them the and praying but for the leaders by encouraging those who are at the cold face. I know how much it means for a youth leader to receive a word of encouragement or to be reminded that you're being prayed for or the children under your care are being prayed for. I want to move on now to leading hands. Those of you who were in the boys' brigade, particularly in the past, might be familiar with this uh, picture here. It's one of what in those days was called a life boy. It's now a junior section boy. And with some of the junior section leaders here, which is great, being led along a rugged path with Jesus leading him by the hand and a young lad looking up at him and Jesus protectively looking down at the child. Mark chapter 8 includes the story of Jesus healing a blind man. Within that, there's a lovely vignette of Jesus leading a man by his hand uh, out of the, the village of Bethsaida. Firstly, we're told in verse 22 of that story that there's an earnest appeal to Jesus by the blind man's friends that he should touch him. Now, we all know the blind man was obviously, his friends were keen that Jesus would touch him to heal him. It's good indeed to have kind friends, isn't it? Friends who care about us deeply, even if we have one good friend. They're worth their weight in gold. But how often do we pray earnestly for someone and persistently for their salvation? You see, it's relatively easy to pray one-off for someone, to pray for a friend, to pray for a family member to come to glory, but to persistently to pray, to pray day after day, sometimes for years for the same thing, that is a lot more difficult. And sometimes 
That's what we're called to do. Verse 23 says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. It's interesting that Jesus didn't immediately heal this man. You see, he challenged him to trust. Have you ever been led by someone blindfold? I'm sure as a child, most of us played blind man's buff. And we're entirely at the mercy of the person who's leading us, whether they guide us down a safe route or along a path littered with hazards or even off the edge of a cliff. In Bethsaida, there was a call to immediate obedience. It was insufficient for this blind man to believe that Jesus had the power to heal. First, he had to obey the command to follow. You will note that he led the man outside the village. I'm sure that this man went not without trepidation. He was wondering if Jesus was going to heal him at all. Perhaps there was even reluctance to leave the comfort of what he was familiar with and the company of his friends. I wonder, do you sense a call from God? But feel perhaps he's taken you a different direction to where you want to go or simply at too slow a pace. Perhaps God's testing you to trust in him and calling you to obedience. And he in time will lead you to the role he has for you in his perfect time. You will recall last Sunday, David told us how God had called Philip to go to a certain place to lead a certain man who was an Ethiopian and speak to him about Jesus. Philip might have thought this was uh, surprising. The meeting place was unusual. The fact that he was called the minister to an African man, but he was obedient to the call. And perhaps this was the beginnings of the church in North Africa. Jesus also had hands of humility. John chapter 13 tells a beautiful story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I was very fortunate a number of years ago when I was uh, on a, a church project in Chennai in India to experience this very thing. When the leader of the orphanage, when we were having our final meal, brought out a bowl of water at the end of the meal and stooped down and washed everyone's feet Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and that he was returning to God. It's incredible to think that the one who had all things under his power, who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who'd come from God the Father down to earth, would take off his outer garments We'd wrap the towel around his waist. We'd go down on his knees and start to wash the disciples' dirty feet. It's very humbling when we read that. Verse 12 tells how Jesus asks his disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? He wanted to make sure that the disciples had been seen beyond the physical act. How could it be that the greatest and most powerful man who ever walked this earth could lure himself to the position 
of a servant and complete the menial task of washing feet. Jesus, through this visual act, demonstrated to his disciples absolute and perfect humility. He called the disciples and us to do likewise. It's not an easy path to tread. Most of us are reluctant to get our hands dirty, to swallow our pride, to let grasp of status and adopt the role of a servant. When I came to this church at first, I recall seeing our session clerk, Don Kerr, and another elder, Dennis Moore, who's here tonight, serving the tea week after week. It was an important lesson to me in servanthood and humility. Jesus calls each of us to follow the example of the servant king. And finally, and most importantly, Jesus has saving hands. At the table, as the Lord's Supper is celebrated, Jesus announces to his disciples in Luke 22, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This Passover was undoubtedly bittersweet for Jesus because he knew it was the final meal that he was about to enjoy on earth with his closest friends. And he knew that the Garden of Gethsemane and Golgotha were merely a step beyond. Yet it was at this meal that Jesus took the bread and broke it with his hands and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And with his hands, he gave us the precious sacrament of communion where we remember the Lord's death till he comes. And that's why it's so important that each of us do participate in communion because we're called to do it by Jesus. And it's an outward uh, signal of our acceptance and trust in the Lord. Then he took the cup in his hands, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant, the new promise in my blood, which is poured out for you. The old covenant was to be replaced through Christ's death on the cross and the spilling of his, special, or his precious blood. Hebrews 10, verse 10, puts it like this. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The hymn, There is a Green Hill, sums it up succinctly. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. And on the cross, those hands pierced held open for us, providing our only means of salvation. Incredibly, when God looks upon the heart of those who have believed in him, you and I, he looks upon Jesus, not us. He doesn't look at our dirty, stained heart, but he sees the purity 
of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Hebrews 10, chapter 14 says this, because by one sacrifice, Jesus, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. As the hymn says, we are clothed in royal robes we don't deserve. Justified by the one sacrifice forever and sanctified day by day as the potter molds us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What's our response? What type of hands have we? Perhaps we have creative or technical hands, hands that can assist and keep our buildings in good condition or can assist with IT and the PowerPoint. And I'd like to thank Andrew tonight because Andrew is somebody who doesn't often get mentioned, but he does a colossal amount in this church and with his team. But Andrew's done this for many, many years. Fantastic work that's sometimes overlooked. And I'd like to thank him for helping me out tonight as ever. And what about musical hands that can inspire our worship with song? And Colin will be delighted to provide you with a platform here. And I'm really thankful for so many great singers and musicians that have inspired our worship over recent years, and particularly since Colin became musical director. It's been incredible. Ravenhill offers many opportunities for those of you with caring hands, and there's so many of you. Hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to return to full visitation of people who are ill or in care homes. And you might feel called to a pastoral team. That's a great work. The food table offers opportunities of our varying type from collecting food from Tesco to engaging with people from our community and conversation about Christ around a coffee. Most importantly, have you praying hands? Are you daily praying for this church family, your ministers and the leadership team? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 puts it like this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you honestly believe this or are you agnostic to prayer? Are you lukewarm in your prayer life? Are you on fire? What is your expectation for Ravenhill? Are you praying for this community out around us and that within and outside of our church, many will come to know Jesus as their Savior. When we humble ourselves and seek God's face and his direction for our own lives and for our church life, we will see immeasurably more than we can imagine happen in Raven Hill. I'll leave you with these words from William Barclay to reflect upon. As I grow older, I realize that few things in life really matter, but those that do matter intensely. I read that again because I think it's very important. I w As I grow older, I realize that few things in life really matter, but those that do matter 
matter intensely. How your heart and your hands respond to Jesus is one. Let us pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come before you tonight and remember Jesus. We thank you for Jesus' hands, hands of an impeccable creation that cast stars into space, formed the majestic mountains and the awe-inspiring landscape, hands that touched the leper's doors, hands that touched a man who was struggling with his mental health, hands that touched a blind man's eyes and restored them, hands that were merciful, forgiving, as we heard in our Bible story tonight, providing opportunity for a second chance. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us all here a second chance and more hands that were pierced by cruel nails and held open to us, offering us undeserved grace. Father, we are your workmanship, created to do good deeds. Help us to use our hands to your glory and to be Jesus' fragrance wherever we're called to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.